Come on, follow me. Greta dropped her handle of the bag, grabbed the nearest shopping cart and pushed off, careening between potholes and over cracked pavement across the parking lot. Hey, wait up. Each took off after her, cradling the duffel bag to their chest. They did not bother to look both ways. When they reached the edge of the lot, they bent over, catching their breath. Greta was standing perfectly still next to her cart. H and Greta looked at the road, or rather, they looked for the road. This episode contains depictions of transphobia, including purposeful misgendering by a parent. Part 2 Where there used to be a paved road, there was now a wide and rushing river. Greta looked over her shoulder and saw that the Allmart had vanished entirely. Where the department store had stood just moments before, there was now a group of large rocks among the suddenly thick trees. The parking lot was now a muddy thicket with a few rusty shopping carts strewn about. Greta shrugged. Daddy can't be mad at us for this because this was not our fault. H crouched down, picked up a smooth stone by the riverbank, and skipped it. Four. I got four skips. Greta, did you see that? Greta did see it, but said nothing. She had never been able to skip a rock successfully and did not enjoy being reminded that she was lacking in any skill at which her sibling excelled. Let's go this way. H pointed down the river in the direction of their house. I don't know what's happening, but we should probably try and find our way back home. H and Greta walked alongside the river that had so recently been asphalt. The river rushed alongside them, urging them forward. The streets that once connected with the main road had disappeared, and in their place were gurgling streams that fed into the river. Greta looked up in astonishment as a lone telephone pole sprouted branches and transformed into a tall, full, very much alive pine tree. The telephone wires that used to line the street fell slack, growing green and leafy, and climbed tree trunks as vines. Okay. I think if we just walk like a few more minutes, we'll find the road, a river, I guess, that takes us back home. H seemed to be talking to themselves more than Greta. H, do you hear yourself right now? There is obviously something magical happening here. You need to pay attention. That squirrel over there literally just winked at me. Squirrels don't wink. And telephone poles don't usually turn back into trees, but I know you saw that. We should be at the turnoff soon. 
H, I don't know if you noticed, but the river has been getting narrower and it isn't even going straight like the road was. I don't think it's going to take you home even if you want it to. You don't actually want to go back home, do you? H was silent. The children wandered the woods for hours, growing hungry and tired, and they only stopped to sleep on some chilly moss when clouds dimmed the moonlight. The next morning, Greta woke up first and set to work finding berries that she was pretty sure were safe to eat. Never mind that they should not have been in season, Greta was pleased with herself when the small meal of deep red berries stayed in their stomachs all morning. Each and Greta wandered the forest the whole day and the next night too. They had to walk all night to keep warm because that first morning Greta had woken up shivering and damp even though she had layered her new purple pajamas under her clothes. Each and Greta were deeply exhausted by the time the sun rose on their third day in the woods. With shaking legs, leery eyes, and empty stomachs, the children stopped under a great oak tree. I can't do this any longer, whimpered H. We should lie down for a little bit, replied Greta. I'm afraid if I fall asleep, maybe I won't wake up. Can you hold my hand and keep squeezing it so I don't fall asleep? H put their right hand in Greta's left and gave it a squeeze. The two small figures slumped against the wide tree trunk. They nestled their bodies between the tree's massive roots and swiftly fell asleep. The nearby beating of wings startled Greta and H awake. As they scrambled to their feet, they whirled around to see what creature had awoken them, squinting in the brightest sunlight they had seen in days. A huge, blue, shimmering bird stood before them and cocked her head to one side. H acted on instinct, dumping the contents of the now mud-streaked duffel bag to the ground and lunged at the bird with the open bag. But the bird, hardly bothered, clucked twice and flew off, barely leaving the ground. The hungry children followed close behind, entranced. The bird stopped every now and again and playfully led them onward, as if it were all a game. I don't think you can catch it, H. Maybe we should try being its friend instead. H could barely hear Greta. The vision of a mouth-watering feast was too strong in their mind. H imagined stews and roasts and a steaming game pie so vividly they could smell it. After a few more minutes chasing the beautiful bird, they arrived at a small clearing in the forest. H and Greta stood dumbfounded. The pie had not just been in H's imagination. There stood a little house atop a hill in the clearing and the intoxicating scent of fresh-baked pastries flowed out of an open window and down the breeze. Deliriously, H and Greta ran up the hill, hoping for an invitation to lunch. As they approached, Greta had to blink and rub her eyes. The entire house was made of the finest candies and fragrant breads, except for a tall brick chimney. The windows were transparent panes of sugar, each a different color, glinting in the sunlight. Graham cracker shutters framed the windows, and at each corner of the front door, there was a glistening, glazed cinnamon roll. The roof was a patchwork blanket of warm breads and treats whose scents swirled together in the soft breeze. There was gingerbread, pumpernickel, naan, and injera, bowls and bunt cakes and rugula, and flaky chocolate almond croissants near the edges. H and Greta had never seen most of these before. They only recognized the gutters which were long, hollowed-out baguettes. 
Greta rushed toward the house and marveled as she realized that even the cobblestone path beneath her feet was made of hard rusks. Giant gumdrops lined a large garden area to the left, and she passed a huge rainbow swirl lollipop emerging from the ground like a tree. She inspected a window box of chrysanthemums and noticed that the box was made of lattice pretzel, some of it covered in chocolate. She broke off a little piece. Greta, maybe we shouldn't, started H. But then they saw how Greta's eyes closed in bliss as she chewed and they joined her at the window box. I've never tasted anything this good in my entire life, H whispered as they bit the fine chocolate-covered latticework over and over. Next, Greta broke off a shortbread shingle from the house and the two siblings transformed it into crumbs in a matter of seconds. You like that? A nearby voice asked. H jumped backward with a start. There was a woman standing to their left by the cinnamon roll-framed front door. Greta jumped to hide behind H. I didn't... We weren't... It's not what it looks like, H stammered. It's okay, I can rebuild it, the stranger replied. I'm constantly dealing with repairs, anyhow. Tell me, did you like the shortbread, or was it a touch too salty? The children just stared at her. Tell you what, have a seat in the garden, and I'll bring out some tea. When the woman went inside, H and Greta cautiously returned to the rusk pathway and sat down. H picked at the bread absentmindedly. The late morning sun had warmed its crust and it felt nice to sit on. When the woman came back out, she carried a tray with a teapot and three mugs and set it down on a small metal table. I meant on the chairs, darlings, but wherever you're comfortable is fine. The woman scooted one of the garden chairs over to face them then delivered a warm mug to each child. This is my very own blend of mountain tea. You look like you could use it. How long have you two been traveling on your own? The tea was the perfect temperature and its taste was both comforting and strong. Greta surveyed this new and strange woman. She was tall and she did not slouch, which made her seem even taller. She carried herself like she had studied posture and elegance with the queen of Genovia herself. She had curly black hair, which she swept up into an elegant loose bun, and every time she moved her head, a new curl would spring loose from the bun. She wore jeans, work boots, and a cozy maroon sweater. One silver earring dangled from her right earlobe, a cluster of tiny stars that shimmered in the light when she moved her head. She had beautiful eyes that crinkled behind gold-rimmed glasses when she smiled. A fluffy gray and white cat trotted out of the house and leaped into the woman's lap with a well, hello, Jacob, she crooned in a soft, low voice. You kids will have to come inside when we finish our tea. Jacob can be friendly, but he doesn't like being outside too much. I'm sure he'll let you pet him in the house. H wasn't so sure about all this. They had always been taught not to trust strangers and not to accept food or drinks from them. Although, to be fair, this woman hadn't offered them food. They had just taken that when they destroyed and ate her private property. And they had definitely been taught not to go inside a stranger's house, which was going to be a problem because the smell of the house baking in the midday sun was mouth-watering. When they finished their tea, Jacob led the three humans into the house with his white-tipped tail swishing behind him. The house, for all its splendor on the outside, was small and simple within. The woman led H and Greta through the main living space, which was furnished with a small sofa and a table strewn with half-finished projects. On the right side of the room was a kitchen area with gleaming copper kettles and pots on the stove, 
a large brick fireplace, a wooden table, and a crooked broom in the corner. She led them to her guest room. There was a clear, round sugar pane for a window and a twin bed on each side of the narrow room. The wall with the window was made of bright blue hard candy. You can have a rest here, she offered, and the kids flopped gratefully on the beds. The pillows were so soft under H's head, and Greta breathed in the scent of freshly laundered linens. The woman left to get them some clean clothes to borrow, but when she returned, the children were fast asleep. She left the clothing folded neatly on the floor and softly clicked the door shut. H and Greta slept straight through the rest of the day and all through the night. Greta dreamed of her mother and father. She dreamed of them changing their mind about sending H away and preparing a great feast for the family. She dreamed that her parents were sorry for the mean things they had said to H, and they wrapped the two children in a big hug. When she woke up, she was disoriented and saddened to realize it was just a dream. As H slept, images of their parents flashed through their minds. You minds couldn't even last two them. weeks in your own backyard. What makes you think you can survive with some freak in the middle of the forest? Don't come back, H. We've already sold your mattress and your toys and your books. We've already forgotten what you look like. We've cut you out of the family photographs. The dream morphed into a bedtime story, one they had heard long ago. H sat on their mother's lap as she read. There were two children trapped in a magical house with a ghastly witch who was mostly blind but had a sharp sense of smell. Ooh, look how scary she looks. Do you think they should trust her? No, H squealed in reply. The witch was kind to the children at first, but little did they know she spent her days tricking children into her house, only to kill them and eat them. When she smelled the two young humans approaching, she let out an evil laugh and said, Now I've got you and I'll never let you go. H flipped the page and saw the small boy locked up in a cage day after day while his sister was forced to work in the kitchen and eat only crab shells. The witch tried to fatten the boy up before cooking him, and she measured his finger. The girl slipped him a chicken bone, and the blind witch did not realize she was measuring a bone rather than his finger each day. She grew angry and impatient at the child for not changing size to her liking and decided to cook him anyways. The girl tricked the witch yet again when she prepared the oven, shoving the evil woman inside so she was burnt to death. The children collected all the witch's jewels and coins and returned home to their father, who was glad of their new riches. Their wicked stepmother, who had encouraged the children's father to abandon them in the forest in the first place, had died in the meantime, and they lived happily ever after. H woke up in a panic. The woman of the cottage also had a dream that night. She dreamed that she had planted two seeds, but she did not yet know which kind of plants they were. She tended to the soil and watered it with great care for years and years in the dream, never seeing any results. But when the plants finally started to break ground with a loud crack, she woke up. Greta, wake up! Before H was fully conscious, they were already tumbling out of their warm bed and shaking their younger sister awake. What? What's happening? We need to get out of here. It isn't safe. We can't stay. Go back to bed, H. Hey, let go. I'm still sleeping. But H was determined. Ow! Okay, okay, I'm awake. What's going on? We need to make sure we can escape. Help me to make a hole in this wall behind the table so we can crawl out if we have to. 
If we lick through the hard candy layer, we can smash through the gingerbread and shortbread shingles on the outside and escape. That's ridiculous. The candy part is at least an inch thick, so it'd probably take more than a whole day based on our Tootsie Pop experiment data. An H? I don't want to get in trouble. We just got here. And she's so nice. I like her. I feel like I know her. I think we're okay here. Don't you see, Greta? That's why we can't stay. She's just tricking us. She wants us to trust her. She's tricking you into liking her, so you let your guard down. She probably isn't even who she says she is. I bet she's a witch, and she's going to stuff us full of candy and cookies so she can boil us in a stew or bake us into bread and eat us for dinner. That's not true. No way. If you have to make a hole, just make it small so she doesn't see. And I'm not going to lick a wall for you, even if it's candy. I'm not going to break this pretty house again. And if you leave, I'm not coming with you. You'll come with me. You always do. Crash. The woman sprung out of bed, fumbled for her glasses, and listened closely to the repetitive crashing noise until she could tell it was coming from the guest bedroom. Her bare feet padded across the cold stone floor in the darkness to the kitchen, where she grabbed her broom and slipped a switchblade into her bathrobe pocket. She held the broom tightly in one hand as she neared the bedroom and slowly opened the squeaky door, poised for she didn't know what. She saw H give the wall a powerful whack at the base of a lamp and watched as shards of blue candy flew in every direction. When the children turned around, they saw a cloaked figure filling up the small doorframe in the dim light, watching them and holding a broom. They screamed and jumped into each other's arms, The woman waited for them to finish screaming. If you're going to destroy the wall, I can give you the proper tools. I don't want you to scratch a cornea or break my lamp. Greta leapt backward from the scene of the crime. It's not my fault. I told them not to. It was H's idea and I told them not to, but they didn't listen and I couldn't stop them. But they didn't mean to. It was an accident. We're we're sorry. I mean, they're really sorry. Greta burst into tears, the sobs shaking her body. But H faced their host, still grasping the lamp like a baseball bat, and said, I'm not sorry. You could be an evil witch, and you're going to eat me and kill me. I am not an evil witch. H, is it? H, can you please tell me what's going on? If you need to leave, you can use the front door. I'm not holding you hostage. Would you like to go? H nodded yes. Greta shook her head no. Okay, you can leave. You'll be welcome back any time, but if you're headed out, at least eat some breakfast first. You must still be so hungry. H raised their eyebrow and shot Greta a look, but Greta pointedly looked away. How dare H be so rude to this wonderful person who saved them with good food and soft beds, who didn't even get mad when they damaged her magical candy house twice. Greta had never hated H so much as in this moment. Do you like French toast? The tall lady asked. I still have some leftover challah from Shabbat. I think you'll love it. Come join me in the kitchen in 20 minutes. And if you want a change of clothing, I put some clean clothes on the floor there for you. Although they are definitely not your size. The shirt might fit more like a gown on you, dear. What's your name? Greta. Greta. What a lovely name. I'll see you both soon for breakfast. She turned and took her broom back to the kitchen, 
Greta set to work picking up the sharp pieces of broken candy that littered the floor, and H reluctantly joined in. Soon the sweet scent of warm bread, eggs, and cinnamon wafted and filled the room. Greta and H ran to the kitchen and took their seats at the table. Hey, what do we call you? Greta asked their host. My name will do just fine, the tall woman replied. It's Maya. Maya served them plates of thickly cut French toast topped with large pats of melting butter and drizzled in golden maple syrup. Steam swirled up to the ceiling and Greta watched in amazement and disbelief as it transformed into the shape of flapping butterflies that playfully chased each other upward. Each felt uneasy seeing this and looked down at their plate, weighing whether it was safe to try a bite. They kept a wary eye on Maya as they lifted their fork. The toast was crispy on the edges and fluffy inside. Powdered sugar dusted the children's lips after each bite. They washed it down with swigs of ginger lemon tea. When the rest of the day passed without anyone being shoved in a cauldron, H started to relax a little. They had nightmares again the next night, but then survived another day at the house unscathed. It went on like that for a while. Days of delicious home-cooked meals and exploring the woods with Greta, and long nights filled with the same terrible dreams, which they only ever escaped by waking up drenched in sweat. I'll stick around just one more day, they told Maya and Greta many mornings over, but then I'm leaving. You can leave any time you like, was always Maya's reply, and you will always be welcome back here. Later that week, she added, but I have a question for you, H. Would you feel more comfortable here if there were a secret door for you to enter and exit your room from the outside? I can build a special peppermint portal for you if you'd like. There's already a hole in the wall there, so we might as well do something interesting with it. Yes, please. I think I would like that a lot. H nodded quickly with gratitude. Excellent. I'll get to work planning it today. I've been looking for a new project. Maya invited H to help her plan the design, and H drew a few quick sketches for her inspiration. But actually, you can surprise me with all the rest of the details, Maya, H shouted, and they ran off to watch dozens of wild turkeys traveling together at the edge of the forest. Greta began to spend many hours in the kitchen with Maya most days, helping and learning. She watched, mesmerized, as Maya thumbed through a thick leather-bound tome to find the precise temperature for cooling this candy or tempering that chocolate. One day, they made hand-spun cotton candy together. Greta stood on a chair at the stovetop and twirled a paper cone and a large pot of the cloud-like purple sugar. When it was full, she lifted it to Maya's delighted eyes. This one's for you, Greta announced. Now you make one for me. So Maya did, dipping and twirling a paper cone around and around the pot so quickly that her hand and the cone were a blur to Greta's eyes. When Maya lifted her creation up, it was a fantastical sculpture. The fairy floss was unmistakably in the shape of a little bear holding a flower. How did you... Greta began, years of practice, my dear. As Greta accepted the wondrous treat in her hand, the bear unmistakably did a little jig in place and took a bow for her. This was the best place in the world, Greta decided. One brisk morning, Greta and H tagged along as Maya surveyed the west side of the house. 
The earth was waking up from its winter slumber and purple crocuses dappled the ground. I think I should build you kids a treehouse, Maya said. Children are like cats. They deserve a place high up to observe everything happening around them. How will you know if a branch is strong enough to hold a treehouse? Greta asked. It's a little bit of guesswork, but I also do calculations before I build, and I always design a structure to hold four times more weight than I expect it to. Would you like to help me plan it and build it? Oh, yes. But Maya, how do you know all this stuff? Maya yelped. Ah, oh, I forgot about the pot on the stove that needs constant stirring. She ran to the nearest window, opened it from the outside, and moved both her pinkies in a coordinated clockwise motion. Greta and H heard the rattling of spoons and spatulas and watched as a big wooden spoon lifted itself into the air and began to slowly stir the pot on its own. H and Greta's jaws dropped. I haven't done that one in front of you before, have I? Maya asked, suddenly self-aware. Greta shook her head with a dazzled smile. H looked down at the ground. H had seen small magical things happening around the house sometimes, but had never seen Maya make them happen. They had felt sick when the spoon lifted itself at her command. It felt wrong, somehow, and they wished she would at least do that when they weren't looking. Maya crouched down. What were you asking, Greta? Ah, how do I know all this stuff? Before I lived here, I did lots and lots of math and some art, and then those numbers and pictures would turn into buildings. Greta clapped her hands in delight. Here, Maya continued, I'll do a very basic sketch of our treehouse. Maya pulled a small notebook and pencil from the pocket of her overalls. Look, if we're planning for this side to be eight feet and this side to be six feet, can you guess the perimeter of the treehouse? I don't need to guess because I can do mental math, Greta assured her. That's wonderful. I'll need to do a lot of math to build this. Maybe you can help me. At this, H slipped off quietly and ran for the woods without a word. Okay. But you don't really need my help, do you? Greta eyed Maya with suspicion. Why, of course I need your help. It's going to be your treehouse. So your opinion is most important. But if you can do... Greta waved her hands around like Maya had moments earlier. All that stuff. Why do you need to do math? If you could just make it with magic. Oh, measuring and calculating are even more important with magic, Greta. It's very important to be precise with your power. I love using magic to help assemble things faster or create special protective spells or fun embellishments. I might use magic to keep small children from falling out of the treehouse, for example. But if I'm not considering all possible wind directions, weather conditions, the branch length, everything, it could go very wrong. Reda's face lit up with the new information. Could we also put a licorice swing on the tree branch? Please write that down and calculation it to swing very high. I can do long division if you need, which is quite advanced for my age. And also I can do experiments to find out which bread is the strongest for building. H doesn't like long division. They don't like math problems or really any schoolwork, but I think they don't like doing stuff because mommy tells them to do it. 
and she sometimes just doesn't ask H to do things at all anymore because I think she's had it up to here with them. Sounds like they don't get along so well. Mommy and Daddy don't even call H their name that they always remind them of. Actually, H sometimes didn't remind them anymore because um, our parents, they weren't even trying or caring about H's name too much. Oh, Maya breathed softly. Maya sat down cross-legged on a bench made of massive, buoyant s'mores and gestured for Greta to hop up and join her. And they were going to send H away somewhere because of that and probably tell them they should be more like a girl and stuff. So me and H looked it up online and decided that no, that wasn't a good choice. And the row turned into a river and the store disappeared and now, well, we're here. Hey, what does conversion therapy mean? Maya paused. You just described it to me. It's where they were going to send H. I know, but why? It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. There are some people who think that it is wrong to be anything other than a girl who likes boys or a boy who likes girls. And they also think it's wrong to be something other than what they told you to be. Whether that's a girl or a boy or in between or both or neither or another gender. They think it's wrong to realize that your gender or your heart that you are different from how people said you should be. What does neither mean? It means not either one. Not one thing or the other thing out of only two options. So these people sometimes make these pretend camps or programs where they say, hey, come here and we'll fix you. Or have your kid come here and we'll fix your kid. But they're not broken, Greta chimed in. That's right, they're not broken. Greta, did you know there's a word for people who are a different gender than what they were told they were going to be? Greta shook her head. It's transgender, or trans for short. So H is trans, and I'm also trans. Oh, oh, so you got to be a girl because you wanted to. Exactly, I got to be a girl because I wanted to. And the reason I wanted to be one is because I am one. That is so cool. Greta jumped off the bench, plucked a crocus from the thawing earth, and put it in the front pocket of her sweater. As H ran away from Greta and Maya and their horrible bonding over math, they glanced over their shoulder. The two of them got on so easily. They were laughing and sharing secrets. H wondered if they could be talking about them making fun of H for not being able to make cool things like Greta and Maya could. They stewed over this as they walked through the forest for a long time, choosing no path in particular. H saw something bright on the ground and they picked it up. It was a muddy magenta scarf, the same scarf they had bought a lifetime ago at Allmart. H carefully rolled it and stored it in their jacket pocket. H found themselves thinking about their old home as they came upon a narrow, meandering river. They followed it downstream for a long time. They continued to wander far through the forest. A pile of three rocks caught their eye. It was one of the cairns they had made so long ago for Greta. H followed a path of cairns till they reached the house. Cautiously, they hoisted themselves up onto the back deck and peered through a window. The house was dark inside and looked different than they remembered. Maybe nobody lives here anymore, H considered. 
As they turned to walk back toward the forest, a cop car with flashing blue lights started to slow on the road. H changed directions and sprinted to the small pond around back. They dived into the murky green and the frigid water was like icy knives. They held their breath as long as they physically could. When they finally surfaced and climbed onto solid ground, gasping for air, it was safe again. The road was gone, their clothes were dry. They looked, and where the house had just stood, there was a tangle of exposed roots from a fallen tree. An iridescent hummingbird flitted around H's body three times and started into the lush forest. H followed it for hours back up the river until at last they recognized their surroundings. When H arrived home, it was nearly dark. Maya was flooded with relief to see H's small figure climbing up the hill. She ran to H, but H ran faster, nearly knocking the wind out of her in a crushing hug. Maya and Greta had spent the entire afternoon searching for H in the forest when they had failed to show up for lunch. Maya was still furious and heartbroken, even as she saw that H was safe. She desperately wanted to scream, Don't you ever scare me like that again! But she remembered her promise to H that they could leave anytime they liked. She bitterly regretted those words now, but she held her tongue and blinked back the tears of relief. As the nights grew warmer, they would often build a fire outside and sit around it singing songs after dinner, eating Maya and Greta's daily confectionery creations. H did not like taking precise measurements or being told what to do and so took up their position as moral support. They complimented the chefs every time and offered to wash the dishes, even when there was a lot of them. Each night before bedtime, Maya lay on the floor between H and Greta's beds and told them fantastical stories about forest fairies and water spirits and ancient battles and stories of people all over the world who struggled to be free. H learned that they loved to sketch the woodland creatures who came to nibble on the house when they did too much damage, Maya would come out with her tape measure and start cooking up necessary repairs. H studiously illustrated the birds who pecked at the roof from their vantage point up in the treehouse, making note of their variations and behaviors and keeping a log of how many flocked at a time. H forgot about the muddy scarf in their winter jacket pocket for a while, but one day they remembered and told Greta. They carefully washed it in the sink together so they could give it to Maya for her birthday. Where on earth did you get this from? Maya asked when she unwrapped it in the garden on a warm summer evening. We found it in the forest and cleaned it to make it look so nice, answered Greta. I mean, each found it and we both cleaned it, but I'm sorry, you might have to mend a couple spots that got snagged or something. So I hope that's okay with you. It's lovely. Thank you both. Maya wrapped it around her neck and struck a dramatic pose by the lollipop tree. When the kids dissolved into giggles, she wrapped them up tight in the long scarf so they couldn't move, and they doubled over, laughing even harder. Maya grinned. Now I've got you, and I'll never let you go.
You've been listening to Feminist Fairy Tales, an audio drama podcast that reimagines the genre of fairy tales through a feminist lens. This episode was performed by April Lichtman. Episode script by Reed S. Harrod. Sound design by Tal Minier. Feminist Fairy Tales is produced by Jenny Bissell, Madeline Regina, and Emma Love. Theme music composed and produced by Juliana Marin. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.